wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. What's going on, guys, and welcome back to WrestleRant Radio for February 7, 2019. I am Graham Giesa Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. There is no rest for the weary. We just wrapped up a Royal Rumble review last week here on the show. Next week, we have Elimination Chamber predictions, and then Fastlane three weeks after that on the road to WrestleMania, which, as I noted in the beginning of Hashtag Ask Some on Wednesday, my status for the show's show is still up in the air right now. But it does certainly look like I will be in attendance for the grandest event of the year, that being WrestleMania 35 in Newark, New Jersey for WrestleMania weekend. It's going to be amazing. already bought my tickets for the Ring of Honor New Japan Pro Wrestling Show that Saturday, the night before WrestleMania at MSG. I bought those tickets months ago. But it was just yesterday I bought my tickets for the Raw after WrestleMania. Now, I've never been to a Raw, a post-WrestleMania Raw. Um, I've been to a few Raws at the Barclays Center before. I went to a post-WrestleMania or post-SummerSlam Raw at the Barclays a few months ago, or a few years ago, rather. Um, My first WrestleMania Raw, though. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait for it. More on that as it develops in the weeks and months ahead. Um, That being said, though, still a ton of talk about from the week in WWE from the last couple of days between Halftime Heat, Worlds Collide, Raw, SmackDown, and all the latest news and rumors on the road to WrestleMania. So like I mentioned, we talked at length about Royal Rumble, NXT TakeOver, and even the departures of Dean Ambrose and Adeo Tommy, and potentially Ronda Rousey here last week on the show, spending, I would say, about three quarters of the episode last week talking all about Rousey, Ambrose, and Tommy potentially leaving WWE in the not-so-distant future. So if you haven't already checked that out, please do so right here on NextEraWrestling.net. Also, on iTunes, simply search up WrestleRant Radio on the Apple Podcast app. You'll get every new episode on Thursdays. Rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. In addition to all the new episodes, you also get every new episode, an archived episode, dating back to October of 2013. So if you haven't already done so, please subscribe today to WrestleRant Radio on iTunes. We talk all things WWE and in the entire world of wrestling on the show. Um, speaking of the world of wrestling, again, more departure talk. It just keeps on coming here at the beginning of today's WrestleRant Radio momentarily. Do want to mention this real quick, though. The All Elite Wrestling Ticket Party for the Double or Nothing show, which will be happening over Memorial Day weekend just three months from now, um, in the end of May. The ticket party is going on later today, as I record this, later on on Thursday. And the MGM Grand Studio, whatever the name of the arena is, had tweeted out uh, cryptically this past week that it's the announcement we've all been waiting for. And they're not just talking about the tickets going on sale either, which should hopefully be soon. I'm sure they're alluding to Kenny Omega signing with AEW, which if you've been watching Being the Elite at all, any one episode in recent weeks, you would know that it certainly looks likely that Kenny Omega is AEW bound. 
That's my prediction. Not exactly bold. I do think he will end up there, probably for the best, too. Um, I think Kenny Omega is an exceptional talent. I think he would thrive no matter where he signs or uh, ends up, whether it be in New Japan, AEW, WWE, whatever brand company he decides to sign with, he will do uh, amazing things. That being said, he's very good friends, of course, very well documented, with Cody Rhodes and specifically the Young Bucks. He'd be a moron not to go to AEW for the amount of money they would be paying him and for the schedule he'd have here in the States. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to that breaking news announcement later today. It might be old news by the time you're listening to this, um, but that's not the only AEW-related announcement and rumor I wanted to discuss here at the start of today's show. We probably won't go into as much detail as I did last week in talking about Dean Ambrose leaving and Ronda Rousey taking a break and Adeo Tommy requesting his release from WWE, which appears to be immediate as of this recording. I've heard nothing about it being official, but it should soon be official in the next couple days, weeks, months even, we'll say. He might be sitting out the rest of his contract at home, but at least he, you know, he's, he's finishing out, he finished out his storyline and was written out of storylines last week on 205 Live. He was mentioned this week on 205 Live, but... You know, and it's always possible we could see him resurface before he inevitably leaves, but it certainly looked like, based off a video that Jack Gallagher put up last week, that he is indeed done with WWE and will not be returning before his contract expires, presumably in the next few weeks or so, if not days. Um, But anyway, on the subject of AEW, did want to bring this up. I saw a lot of people talking about this on Twitter during SmackDown Live last night, that... um, AEW had reached out to a very prominent top WWE superstar about coming over and offered them a large enough sum of money that they would be pretty much dumb to turn down, essentially. Um, and there was no, you know, there's only speculation. I think it came from the Twitter account WrestleVotes, which has been fairly credible in the past. So take it with a grain of salt, but they have broken some pretty big stories in the last year or so. So this is hardly you know, hearsay, oh, it's rumors, like Ringside News, like Ringside News reporting, like, oh, the New Day might be leaving for All Elite Wrestling, like, get the fuck out of here with that dumb shit, clearly the New Day is not going to All Elite Wrestling, but, um, you know, someone else of the ilk of an AJ Styles might not be that far-fetched, or a Finn Balor, they're two very big stars right now on their respective shows, SmackDown Live and Raw, so for either one to reach out to AEW, or for there to be interest, I should say, from AEW and either one of those guys is very obvious and to be expected. Um, Randy Orton was included among those that AEW might be interested in. Brock Lesnar, I think that rumor broke after I recorded the show last week, which is absolutely ridiculous. AEW would be beyond, would just beyond would be beyond asinine to sign Brock Lesnar to their brand, seeing as how he represents everything that most fans hate about the current WWE product. The fact that he's held the Universal Championship, by and large, for the last two years now, infrequent appearances, matches that run longer than, you know, less than 10 minutes, um, constant, quote-unquote, burials of certain talent, the same old, same old shit that we've seen in WWE for years now featuring Brock Lesnar. And I'm a big Brock Lesnar fan, but even I won't argue with the fact that him as champion has been extremely stagnant and stale for the better part of the past two years. Um, so for AEW to have any interest in bringing in Brock Lesnar, I think would be a massive mistake. And as other people have said, and with Paul Heyman kind of serving as the mouthpiece and as the representative for Brock Lesnar, both in front of the camera and behind the camera, 
Um, I think Paul Heyman, there's a lot of value in bringing in a guy like him. Now, if Brock Lesnar does leave the WWE, wherever Brock Lesnar goes, Paul Heyman goes too. So if Lesnar is indeed done with WWE past WrestleMania, which I would like to think that he will be in order to pursue a UFC fight or whatever, but we have since found out, and this is all back and forth. I've heard certain rumors about Lesnar's deal being exclusive. He can't fight for UFC until he leaves WWE after the embarrassment that was the whole 2016 uh, debacle about the fact that, you know, he got suspended and all this other stuff. And he was essentially embarrassed, as was WWE, for allowing him to fight after he got himself suspended for violating the wellness policy. But nonetheless, with Brock Lesnar, if he is indeed on his way out of WWE, for Paul Heyman to be, you know, on his way out of the door as well would not be entirely surprising. I think AEW would benefit big time from bringing in a guy like Paul Heyman. Brock Lesnar, not so much. Now, I know the Khan family is loaded, the financial backers of All Elite Wrestling. I know they have a lot of money behind them. For them to waste that money on Brock Lesnar, who WWE has wasted a lot of money on Brock Lesnar in recent years. Now, I thought it was worth it when he was being brought in for like every other pay-per-view and for house shows and for live specials. The guy's worked only a handful of matches since WrestleMania last year. We, I think we can count maybe on one hand how many matches this guy has wrestled since WrestleMania 34. Let's let's start here. Him and Roman Reigns in the main event of WrestleMania 34. He faced Roman Reigns in a rematch at Greatest Royal Rumble later on that month. So that's two matches right there. I know he made Raw appearances, but very far and few between. He wrestled at SummerSlam, also against Roman Reigns. Won, or rather lost that match. That's where he dropped the Universal Championship. Showed up at Hell in the Cell. Didn't wrestle, but showed up. Um, before making another appearance at Crown Jewel to win back the Universal Championship. So that's four matches. The fifth match came at um, Survivor Series when he beat Daniel Bryan. And then the sixth match came at Royal Rumble when he beat Finn Balor. So not terrible. I've seen, there, there have been other periods since he signed back in 2012 where he's wrestled less matches. But that's still pretty deplorable for a guy that has been the Universal Champion for the better part of those 12 months. Um... I don't think there's any value in bringing in Brock Lesnar whatsoever. No, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Brock Lesnar is not a draw. The guy is a big attraction. I'm not denying that for a second. But for AEW to bring in the one guy that people have complained ad nauseum about for years now in WWE at the top of the card would be so ass-backwards I can't even begin to explain how just ridiculous that would be. But again, Paul Heyman, I think there's a lot of worth there in bringing him in either as an on-air talent a behind-the-scenes person, a creative writer who they have since said, Cody Rhodes, that is, that they're not really looking into creative writers, um, like having a full-on creative team. We'll see. That might change. I think it's a very interesting concept to not have a writing team and not to not have a creative team. So we'll see how that shakes out in the months ahead. Um, I just wanted to note that, though. So Brock Lesnar, oh, AEW has interest. I'm sure there's always interest, but I think they'd be extremely stupid to even entertain the idea of signing Brock Lesnar to a deal, considering how essentially invaluable he's been for WWE in recent years. Yeah, he's wrestled in the main event of a few different pay-per-views, held their championship. The guy has not helped business at all. If anything, he's hindered business in terms of how many people WWE has put him over since he became champion two years ago. I think Brock Lesnar is a great get for WWE to have him stick around in some role, I think is great. But to constantly feature him as the be-all, end-all of your product is a very bad idea. Anyway, moving on from Brock Lesnar, 
I mentioned that there was interest in a top WWE star that they'd be dumb to turn down, and how Randy Orton was included among those, um, you know, rumored to be interested in moving to AEW. That has since come out as false. I think that was purely speculation from Sean Ross Sapp over at the Fightful Wrestling Podcast, as opposed to like a hard news scoop, which he has since broken before. The guy's a very credible source, but I think he even he himself had said on his own Twitter later on that night that, hey, I never actually said that. I think he was only speculating, not even speculating, but like entertaining the idea of Orton being that person to go to AEW. But you know wrestling fans, people hear something that they want to believe is true and run with it as fact. I do not think Orton is going anywhere. I think he's staying right where he is in WWE. He makes a pretty penny in that company for not really doing much at all. The guy has been coasting um, for years now. And he's been more interesting as a heel in recent months than he ever was as a babyface prior to that point. But still, Randy Orton is a guy that just could not give two shits where he is in the card for the most part. As long as he's getting paid and, you know, appearing as advertised and whatnot, then I don't think he would give two shits. So... I don't think that's the case. I don't think they would really want Randy Orton. I know Cody Rhodes and Randy Orton are close from their days in the legacy from 10 years ago. There's a lot of people I'm sure Cody Rhodes would want from WWE, given his ties to certain people like The Revival, like Ty Dillinger, like Randy Orton. I don't think Randy Orton is among them, though. I'm sure if Orton said that he wanted to go to AEW, they would surely accept, but I don't think that they are, um, you know... They are, you know, at, at the point where they're offering him a deal and they're on the cusp of signing him where they're just fucking, you know, I don't even know what the right expression would be, but they're just like, oh, so excited to sign Randy Orton. I'm, I'm sure that's not their top priority. So I just want to prove that false. I mean, it's not false. I mean, it's not proven to be false. It could always be true, but I don't think that's, I, I don't believe that for a second. Um, that being said, something that was more than, speculation that um, Sapp had said on a show on Tuesday night that there has been some concern within WWE that the Usos may not resign when their contracts expire. Now, it's not yet known when their contracts expire and if it's a deal similar to the Revival or they want, you know, a better tag team wrestling scene and they feel like they're not getting their due. The Usos have been just kind of riding and coasting by as well for the past year now since they dropped the SmackDown tag team titles to the Bludgeon Brothers at WrestleMania 34. Um, they have since earned themselves a shot at the SmackDown Tag Team Championships at Elimination Chamber, which, it could be a coincidence. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, they gave him a Tag Team title shot because they feel like they're going to leave. Now, like, I feel like that's the case with the Revival. That is absolutely the case. I mean, the Revival have since lost three different Raw Tag Team title matches since Christmas Eve a month and a half ago. Yet, they're still getting another title shot at Elimination Chamber. I am surely almost 100% positive that the reason behind that is because they feel like they'll walk out or quit or won't show up for the rest of their dates or whatever the hell it might be. So I'm not surprised by that in the slightest. The Usos thing, I think, makes a bit more sense because if you want to get a great match at a Miz and Shane and there's no more, like, automatic rematch clauses for former champions like The Bar, I think the Usos are that team to get a good match out of a team like The Miz and Shane. So that's not all that surprising. But one could say, one conspiracy theorist could argue that, hey, they're giving them a tag team title shot because they feel like they might leave or they're unhappy, blah, blah, blah. That's very possible. That is very, very possible. Um, but yeah, the Usos, they were in the news on Wednesday saying that, they didn't say, but it was being said that they might not be all that happy with their current status in WWE. They could be, I'm not looking to go to AEW. I don't want to be that person that says, oh, this person might leave. They're going to AEW. Like Hideo Tommy, I don't think is going to AEW. 
Um, based off the 205 Life video that Jack Aller had posted on his Twitter or Instagram or Vimeo, whatever the fuck it was, on um, on Twitter this past week, Atami clearly misses Japan. I think he has even said as such in interviews when he went over there to do a match for like Noah or another promotion um, not too long ago. So Atami clearly misses Japan, so I'm not surprised that they're letting him go back to wrestle in Japan and be over there with his family, whatever. If his family's even over in Japan, I'm sure they're, I'm sure his wife has since moved in with him and here in Florida or in the States, whatever. Um, whatever the case might be with Tommy, I don't think he is AEW bound. I don't even know if the Usos would be AEW bound as well. I think they've got a better shake. They've gotten a better shake in WWE than the Revival ever did. I mean, then again, the Revival were cursed with injuries from the get-go, but there is no excuse for their bad booking after like late 2017. These guys have been fully healthy for well over a year now, and the company's done jack shit with them. Other than have them lose to, like, the club or get embarrassed to Raw 25 or have them lose to, you know, this team or that team fail to win the Raw Tag Team titles. I can go on and on and on about the revival. The Usos, rather, are, like, five-time tag team champions. They're the only team to have stuck together for so long and be successful and constantly reinvent themselves dating back to, like, 2010 when they first debuted on the main roster. They've been with this company for, like, close to a decade. So they've gotten a way better shake than a team like the Revival. But still, tag team wrestling is very abysmal right now, to say the least. Uh, That's to put it nicely. Uh, Both Raw and SmackDown. SmackDown, I think, has a better crop of teams to work with than Raw does. But even the Usos have been just kind of there for the past year now. Now, you can't always feature them in the title picture that we got into a position a few years ago where that was always the case with the Usos, and that's why people got sick of them. So they can't always be in the role of challengers or champions. But still, with the Usos, I would not blame them whatsoever if they were unhappy in WWE or wished to go. I mean, people want to leave for a reason, whether it be because they're burned out, they feel like they're being underutilized, We'll never know unless they leave and speak about it in a future interview. Until then, it's purely speculation. But Randy Orton, the Usos, they were in the news this week, as well as The Undertaker. Now, this one was really interesting as well. Now, I'm not even going to begin to speculate that The Undertaker is headed to AEW. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people saying that. They're going to be posting the Cody Rhodes gif with him, you know, pointing to his ear, um, you know, indicating that he was headed or interested in going to AEW. I'm not saying that for a second, because obviously he's not fucking going to All Elite Wrestling, The Undertaker, that is. What's Mark Calloway doing in the All Elite Zone? Like the old Impact Zone memes from years ago? Anyway. Um, the Undertaker, though, this is interesting to know. Now, this might be reading a little too much into certain things, but The Undertaker is indeed on social media. Why? I have no idea. The guy is at an Instagram, uh, apparently for a long time now, like at least for maybe a few months, if not a year, Um, It was endorsed by his wife, Michelle McCool, so it wasn't a fake. Um, And as if that wasn't enough, he also created a Twitter for himself not too long ago and has since been posting pretty regularly on the Twitter machine. So again, if you thought it was a fake account or it was being run by someone else, it very well might be run by like his wife or something. But then why now and not years ago? So I feel like this is, it is the real deal and Undertaker knows that he is on his way out of um, as a full-time performer, he's on his way out of WWE or will be winding down his in-ring career. And like, I mean, I mean for good too. I'm not like, I'm not talking like a part-timer or an occasional one-off attraction. I'm talking like he's done wrestling for good, which we all thought the case was the case two years ago, WrestleMania 33 and years before that at WrestleMania 30 and at this WrestleMania and that WrestleMania and this WrestleMania. I never bought that for a second. WrestleMania 33 really felt like the end. Um, but they brought him back anyway the following year to have him squash John Cena 
at fucking WrestleMania. The Undertaker is a very weird case. Because we'll hear these reports about, like, oh, he's going to be a lot more active moving forward. Like, he was. He's been pretty active for a guy that rarely shows up. He's been pretty active in the last year since he returned at WrestleMania 34. He faced Cena that night, beat him in, like, two minutes, wrestled at the greatest Royal Rumble pay-per-view to face and beat Rusev in a casket match. He wrestled at an MSG house show in July. He then wrestled the Super Showdown event, beating Triple H or losing to Triple H, rather, and then losing to him again against, you know, with the whole DX Brothers of Destruction reunion at Crown Jewel in November. That's like four or five matches right there. Way more matches with The Undertaker than I ever anticipated him having in 2018. Um, so to go from 100 to 0, and not wrestling at all at WrestleMania, which would be the first since WrestleMania 2000, is a pretty big stretch. And it's not like he even wrestled, oh, he wrestled his last match, he's done, it looks like he's, he's you know, done with wrestling, whatever. He left off on a pretty uneventful note at Crown Jewel when he lost alongside Kane in a match that sucked, aside from Shawn Michaels coming back to the ring, which in retrospect was a complete waste. I was thinking about that the other day. What a waste it was to bring back Michaels in the ring. Now, I know it's his decision. I'm sure he made a lot of money off that deal to come back for one more match from the Saudis, but Jesus Christ, purely from a storyline standpoint and as a fan, which I know doesn't really matter for much, doesn't really matter much at all, but... The fact that Michaels would throw away such a great retirement at WrestleMania 26, which people can still argue, oh, it's, it'll live forever regardless of whether he came back or not. We will forever remember his final match being at that god-awful abomination of an event, Crown Jewel in Saudi Arabia, Brothers of Destruction versus DX, which came 20 years too late and was absolutely atrocious. That match sucked. But yeah, when it comes to The Undertaker... I can't imagine that would be his last match either. That seemed to be the end for almost all of those performers. Because Michaels has made no, has shown no signs of coming back to the ring. He actually did the, the commentary for the most recent halftime heat show for the NXT match. He's been working very closely with the NXT talent for over the last year or two. It doesn't look like he's on his way back to the ring. And if he was, I feel like we would have seen him on Raw or SmackDown by now. Him and AJ would have been amazing, but I think that was purely speculation or fantasy booking. Um, I feel like he should have wrestled more matches after that atrocious tag team match back at Crown Jewel, but there's still time for him to get back in the ring. I just don't see it happening. But when it comes to Taker, um, him as well, I mean, Triple H got hurt in that match. He hasn't wrestled since. It was actually reported on Wednesday, or Tuesday rather, that um, he may not be cleared for WrestleMania, with him missing his first Mania since 23 back in 2007, so a dozen years ago. And Triple H, I think that might have been the only WrestleMania he's ever missed. If I'm not mistaken, I think he's wrestled every other WrestleMania beyond that one. I think he has the most WrestleMania appearances, or matches wrestled rather, aside from just The Undertaker, which is pretty impressive. But anyway, um, Triple H hasn't wrestled since. His match with Batista might be in doubt, and I don't think it's happening at this point. Um, I mean, he could always return in time, but they would have to start building the match fairly soon. WrestleMania is in two months from today, so they don't really have that much time left. Um, But yeah, they have Triple H still out. Kane has not wrestled the match since, as far as I understand. He's doing the whole mayor thing for Knoxville, Tennessee, which is great. Taker, I feel like, will wrestle a WrestleMania. I have heard from... uh, you know, having read reports and whatnot, and a lot of this could be bullshit, but Undertaker wrestling at Mania this year is not a top priority at all. It's usually around this year every year, not that he returns, sometimes he doesn't come back until like February or March. He never came back at all last year in the build-up to WrestleMania until Mania itself. 
which I thought was dumb because they did the whole thing a few years before that with WrestleMania 31. Anyway, with Taker, not that just we just see him return around this time every year, which is, you know, around this time, around like January, February, even early March. It's that we at least hear rumblings of any potential matches we could see with him at WrestleMania. Even last year around this time, it was rumored that him and John Cena was in the cards for WrestleMania. And the build was very unorthodox, um, and it never happened until it was confirmed that night for the WrestleMania card, which was bizarre. Very strange marketing uh, tool there, but anyway. With Undertaker, usually we hear around this time of year what match they're planning to do with the guy at WrestleMania. We've heard nothing. The same goes for the Hall of Fame. I've heard nothing about the Hall of Fame. I saw some spoilers online somewhere. I didn't read them. I mean, obviously they're doing a Hall of Fame, but it's not a very prominent priority this year. So if they're not... If it seems like they're just phoning it in, then don't be surprised just because they have yet to announce the, the on uh, the on-sale ticket date for ticket sales for the event, which is, again, a little... Cutting it a little close. Into the Hall of Fame is not for another two months, but I thought that was a little... A little strange, but um. anyway, um, with Taker, I've heard no rumblings whatsoever of any potential matches he could have at WrestleMania. I've heard some people say, like fans, like, oh, he could face John Cena again, which would be a fucking waste. The first match was a waste. There's no need to do it again. What, for Cena to win and then for Taker to retire? Like, that's stupid. Um, Finn Balor is a possibility. I mean, possibly. Um, that's just grasping at straws, I know, but if you want to have him up against a, a current talent, why not Finn Balor? AJ and Taker was rumored at one point a few years ago. That never ended up happening. I think that was rumored to be for the WWE Championship, not at Mania itself, which would have been cool, but rather on the build-up to WrestleMania, like at the Rumble or something like that. That would have been nice, and if anyone can get a great match out of Taker at this stage of their career, it would be AJ Styles, and it would be a pretty prominent match for him. Now, I don't know how you get from point A to point B, with AJ and Taker, um, but that's one match you could do. Honestly, it's probably the most appealing match I could imagine they could do if it's not Taker versus the Demon Finn Balor. But that's about it. Like him and Braun does not interest me at all. Him and I mean I've heard McIntyre maybe because he's been targeting legends in recent months, like with Kurt Angle and John Cena. I think McIntyre and Cena is more likely for Mania than McIntyre and Taker is, and even that match. Eh. If take if McIntyre was to win, great. But like Taker losing three at three different WrestleManias after going undefeated for over twenty years to me feels like a fucking waste. Why even bother? Like McIntyre would gain nothing from beating Undertaker because the guy is so broken down and is such a fucking loser at this point. He's not a loser, but and whenever I say loser, by the way, of course I mean from a storyline standpoint. Taker lost the last two matches he had. That doesn't make him a loser. But I would assume that he's going to win the next match that he has. And he's and he should not be beating Drew McIntyre. It's a fucking joke. So, again, um, I'm not sure what you do with Taker at WrestleMania. Do you do Taker and Batista again? I'm sure Batista would love to face The Undertaker. He said a couple years ago, oh, we'd love to face The Undertaker, John Cena, or Triple H at WrestleMania. It's like, dude, we've already seen all those matches with you at WrestleMania before. Why, are, why would we want to see those again? Him and Triple H makes sense because they kind of left off on that note when Batista left. He left the, the company for the last time back in 2014. That would make sense. Him and Cena does nothing for me. Him and Taker does nothing for me. So I hope not. But honestly, at this point, Taker should just sit this one out. I do not think WrestleMania 34 even needs him. Because if it's not Balor, and it's not AJ, and they don't do the Cena rematch, which I think would be a mistake, then what else do you do with the guy that would be a logical addition to the card with someone that's not already 
busy with someone else on the grandest stage in them all? That's my question. So uh, if you guys have any ideas, please let me know. But I think Taker sitting this one out might be their best bet for 2019's WrestleMania. But moving along from the news side here to Raw and SmackDown from this past week, two solid shows by far, you know, nothing great, far from anything amazing, but I thought they were fine for what they were. Uh, We kicked off Raw on Monday night with Stephanie McMahon inviting Becky Lynch to Raw, confronting her about her injured knee. Now, Becky's knee, contrary to my own belief, is not real. Her knee injury is not legitimate. I thought for some reason that it was legit, maybe because I read that she was not at the SmackDown house show this past week. Which I guess makes sense. It wouldn't be the first time they've done something on TV but didn't follow up on that on the live events. They've done that a lot. So I was actually surprised they stuck to the storyline by not having her compete at the SmackDown house shows over the weekend and instead kept her off. So she comes out on Raw this week. Stephanie says, listen, if you you don't go to the doctor and you don't get cleared, I don't know what else I could do for you. I can't really do much for you aside from have you just sit on the sidelines. So, sorry, and otherwise you're suspended. So Becky refused to see a doctor because I guess the whole idea is that she doesn't want to see a doctor because she doesn't want to be told that she won't be cleared for WrestleMania. I think it's a great storyline, and Becky has so far held up her end of the bargain very well. So I thought this was good, and easily the most bearable that Stephanie has come across in a long time. Now, I know they've been babyfaces, her and Triple H and Sheen and Vince, every time we've seen them on TV in recent months since they were brought back to TV as regular characters. I think that's great. Um, Hopefully this does not lead to a Becky Lynch-Stephanie McMahon match. I could not give two shits. That is far from the equivalent of Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Vince. It's not anywhere near that level of a feud. So don't get your uh, hopes up here. But Becky slapped Stephanie. Not only slapped her, but like attacked her. She slapped Triple H on SmackDown too. But Becky went after Stephanie. Full-on ambushed her. Um, put her in the disarmor and had to be taken away by security, who she also beat up. I thought it was a great angle. It was a really good angle. Led to Becky Lynch getting suspended for the time being, which could do one of two things. I thought that it was merely keeping Lynch out of storylines until she was clear to compete again, but if she's not actually hurt, then I don't know what they're going for here with Becky Lynch. Now, this could lead to uh, Charlotte Flair stepping in and facing Ronda at WrestleMania. Not, obviously, it won't be Charlotte and Ronda one-on-one. It would be Charlotte, Becky, and Ronda in a one-on-one-on-one match and a triple threat. But um, I don't even think that's a good idea. I went, uh, and I, I spoke about that in great detail last week here on the show in regards to how Charlotte is just not needed in that match. She's just not. So I would keep Becky Lynch on the sidelines for maybe a month or so to have her miss the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. And then she's back in time for Fastlane. She can either beat Charlotte or Ronda can beat Charlotte, whatever the case may be. And then we move on forward to Becky and Ronda one-on-one at WrestleMania. Um, This might be their way, like I said, of including Charlotte in that match at Mania, but as I noted, it's just not necessary. They don't need her. It would not be a worse-off match, but I think Becky deserves the spotlight on her own and not have to share it with fucking Charlotte Flair. We've seen enough multi-woman matches at WrestleMania over the years that this just does not need to happen. Before last year, we had not had a single one-on-one match with the women at WrestleMania since, like, WrestleMania 22. And maybe 23, but 23, I think, was like a Lumberjill match or something along those lines. Um, only WrestleMania 22 was, was the sole singles women's match that we had in, up until, I think, WrestleMania 34 just last year when Nia Jax challenged Alexa Bliss for the Raw Women's Championship and Asuka challenged Charlotte for the SmackDown Women's Championship. 
Um, but yeah, I think Becky and Ronda, um, and mine has not changed, should remain a one-on-one match at WrestleMania 35. Speaking of Ronda Rousey, she was also in action this week on Raw, taking on Liv Morgan. She made quick work of the Riot Squad member, beating her within a minute or so, probably not even that. And then immediately after the matchup, called out Sarah Logan, who was also at ringside. So that we got uh, that led to Ronda Rousey facing Sarah Logan, who she also beat in a matter of minutes. And, you know, Logan gave her more of a fight, which was to be expected after Rousey already wrestled the match against uh, Liv Morgan. But in the end, the result was no different as usual. Ronda Rousey going over in decisive fashion, which was exactly what it needed to be. A short and sweet squash match. And then she called out Ruby Riot. But before Riot could accept the challenge, she backed down and went back to the back. So she was interviewed by Charlotte Caruso in the gorilla position in the backstage area. And they were hinting at a Ruby Riot Ronda Rousey match. The only issue with that is that we've seen it before. And not only have we seen it before, Ronda Rousey spent some time feuding with the Riot Squad in the fall of 2018 uh, around Super Showdown time. And she beat uh, Ruby Riot in a singles match right before Super Showdown. So we know that Ruby Riot is not a threat whatsoever. And I hate when they run these matches on TV that can be used for future pay-per-views. Because it would have meant a lot more at the Elimination Chamber event if we had not already seen it a few months ago. That's why I was happy they never did... Um, you know, like, Bailey was a different scenario because Bailey was not going to be going for the championship at Chamber because she's vying for the WWE Women's Tag Team titles on that show. So that was never going to happen. And I doubt they'll ever do a Rousey-Bailey match. I think Rousey is SmackDown-bound come these next superstar shakeup. So I was happy they did that match on Raw last week. But like Sasha Banks, like they didn't give away that match on a random Raw before they faced off with the Rumble because if they did, it wouldn't have meant as much. So I thought it was a little dumb they kind of ran that match and feud into the ground a few months ago because we've already seen Rousey beat the shit out of the Riot Squad. We know they're no threat. They're losers. Now why would I want to see them go for the women's tag team titles? You know, it's like one of those type of things. We know that they won't win, so why even bother? I know they need to fill time, but I've said it before. The February and March pay-per-views that are not named WrestleMania are a complete waste of time. I said this on Hashtag last week. I said this in articles before. I've said this here on the show many, 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 many times over the last at least five years or so. When was the last truly great midway pay-per-view between the Rumble and WrestleMania that we got in WWE? I can't think of a single one, aside from maybe Roadblock, which was not a true pay-per-view. It was like a network special in Canada a few years ago. Beyond that, we've not had a real great show um, between the Rumble and Mania in at least 10 to 15 years. I remember the old No Way Out shows, like from No Way Out 2000, when we got Triple H and Cactus Jack, or The Rock and Hulk Hogan from No Way Out 03, or even No Way Out 2002 in the NWO debut. Those were historical monumental moments. When was the last monumental history-making moment that we got at a February pay-per-view at Elimination Chamber or Fastlane? The shows are just a complete waste of time. There's no matches you can do at that event that you can't do on Raw or SmackDown. And if you really want to keep the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view, then do it later on in the fucking year. I always liked the idea of the Elimination Chamber being brought back on occasion when it mattered most. Like with the Hell in the Cell, which they should also follow suit with that as well and getting rid of the pay-per-view and only bringing back the match when it matters. Elimination Chamber, same exact thing, but if you want to keep the pay-per-view, at least move it to like July or May or even October, like to do it right before WrestleMania when the champion has retained their title successfully more times than has ever really been necessary. 
that's just it's it's such a waste. Alexa Bliss did that last year. Alexa Bliss successfully defended her Raw Women's Championship inside the chamber. Why was that chamber match even necessary? I thought it was a great women's chamber match, just a great chamber match in in general, better than the the men's one from later on that night. But Alexa Bliss retained her title last year. Randy Orton retained his title back in 2014. Edge retained his title in 2011. Fuck, Daniel Bryan and CM Punk both retained their titles inside the chamber in 2012. That's like five different successful title defenses inside the chamber within like four or five years. It's completely ridiculous. So again, they need to move on from this shit with the whole elimination chamber happening right before WrestleMania. It's so predictable. Now the card for this year's installment has promise on paper. I'm looking forward to it with the SmackDown WWE title match. Looks awesome. It looks awesome, but I think Brian retaining really isn't too much in doubt at all. But going back to the actual pay-per-view for a moment, Rousey and Riot, it could be a good match if they give Riot some offense over Rousey. Beyond that, I don't see... The result obviously will not be in doubt whatsoever. Rousey is not dropping the championship to fucking Ruby Riot before WrestleMania. Um, But the match itself, I can't imagine, will be anything, you know, out of the ordinary, considering they already ran the match on Raw a few months ago and Rousey won with ease. So I don't foresee this being any different, which is kind of a shame. So also on Raw this week, we had another, another Fatal 4-Way number one contenders tag team match for the Raw tag team titles. I say another because we had the exact same thing on SmackDown last week with the Usos, the New Day, the Bar, and Heavy Machinery, which was actually entertaining. I thought it was a good match. The Usos won. The Usos will face uh, Shane and Miz for the SmackDown tag team titles next Sunday at Elimination Chamber. On Raw, we had the exact same match, in fact, featuring one of the exact same teams in Heavy Machinery. Heavy Machinery was in both bouts and lost both times. Now, they had a good showing, and they were actually over, which surprised the hell out of me, but they they won over the audience in both of their outings on SmackDown and Raw, respectively. Uh, They didn't win, unfortunately, but they had a good showing here. In fact, it was the Revival who went over and earned themselves another Raw Tag Team title opportunity at the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. Now, as I mentioned earlier, they have to be doing this for a reason. Why would they give the Revival yet another shot at the championship They've already given them like at least three championship matches since Christmas Eve a month and a half ago. They have to be winning at the pay-per-view. Otherwise, I don't know why else they would have done this team against Brood and Gable again unless they were going to have them win the championship. So hopefully that's the case. Otherwise, I don't know why they wouldn't just run Lucha House Party in that in that contender spot instead. So hopefully the Revival are... In fact, winning the Raw Tag Team Championship at long last at Elimination Chamber, it's a l- too little too late. I don't know if many people would care. Um, it's past the point where people even give a shit about them winning the Raw Tag Team titles, to be honest. But it's still something for them, and this was a fine match. Um, also on Raw this week, Kurt Angle teased retirement when he addressed the audience, only to be interrupted by Baron Corbin and Drew McIntyre, who basically mocked the fact that um, they beat him in recent months, that he was humiliated at the hands of both McIntyre and Corbin. And Angle wanted the fight. Angle wanted the fight, both of them. And before he could, Braun Strowman made the save and came to the aid of Angle, leading to a tag team match in the main event, which was solid. Um, Strowman and Angle went over by disqualification, which was completely dumb, by the way. Um, I think Strowman... I think it was actually the heels that won. It was Corbin and McIntyre who won after Strowman attacked the illegal man, which was so stupid, because how many times over the years have we seen the illegal man attack the legal man, or vice versa? It was ridiculous. It was completely ridiculous. So for the match to end on such an underwhelming note, I thought was just mind 
just mind-boggling and just dumb. Like I said, I can't come up with any other words aside from mind-boggling, asinine, stupid, and dumb today. But there's a lot of things in this company that can be described to those four words. Um, but anyway, when it comes to the Raw main event, I thought it was fine. The heels went over. Strowman and Angle stood tall after attacking the heels afterward. I don't know where this is going. I thought they would save the tag team match at the pay-per-view. At this point, I don't know what the fuck they're doing. They had a DQ finish, so they could always set up a rematch at the pay-per-view. Maybe no DQ or something. That's possible. But what do you do with Kurt Angle? I spoke about The Undertaker earlier on in the show. Uh, there's no spot for him on the card. Kurt Angle, same thing. At least in the, he's in the middle of a storyline right now with him teasing retirement and how he may be reaching the end of his rope and he's you know out of it and he's past his prime, blah, 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 blah. I think having him lose to Baron Corbin, Dolph Ziggler, and McIntyre was a mistake. But they can redeem themselves by giving him one last big match at WrestleMania and hopefully having him win before he calls it a career if they want him to, that is. Um, but I don't know who he would face. Him and McIntyre, again, does not really interest me all that much. Him and Corbin, been there, done that. They had a fun little match last week, but as a WrestleMania match, does nothing for me. Um, I don't know who else you put in that spot, to be honest with you. I really don't. Um, I think it's cool to give him one last big match at WrestleMania. Now, it would be cool if they had Jason Jordan come back and they kind of blew off that storyline, which never got resolved about a year ago. Jason Jordan's been out now for almost exactly a year with a neck injury. I don't think he's ever coming back at this point. We've heard no update on Jason Jordan since, like, the summer. So at this point, I think it's pretty unlikely that Angle is coming back, or rather, Jason Jordan is coming back from that neck injury, which is a massive shame. Um, but if it's not Jason Jordan, I really do not know who you have face Kurt Angle at WrestleMania. McIntyre and Corbin, I guess, makes sense. But again, we've been there, done that, and the matches weren't that good to begin with. So why would you, why would you have him do it again? Why would you waste a Kurt Angle? Why would you waste a, a Drew McIntyre match on Kurt Angle? You know, when McIntyre could instead be facing a John Cena, which I think makes more sense. So we'll see. Even Strowman, I feel like he'll be involved again in the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal because last year he went for the Raw Tag Team Titles against the Bar, a total waste. The year before that, he was in the Battle Royal. What a waste. Um, then wrestled the year before that. He was still the Wyatt family at that point. So again, I don't know what you do even with Strowman at WrestleMania. Him and McIntyre is a possibility because their match ended, I think, on a DQ as well last week. They can always revisit that rivalry one-on-one in time for WrestleMania. But even that, I feel like it's a waste of McIntyre. I feel like if McIntyre's not winning his match at WrestleMania over a big star, it's a waste of Drew McIntyre because the guy should be wearing gold around his waist soon after WrestleMania, at least in my opinion. Speaking of gold, we had our last WWE Women's Tag Team Championship Elimination Chamber qualifier on Monday's Raw with Bayley and Sasha Banks taking on Alicia Fox and Nikki Cross. Um, the match was better than expected. Sasha Banks barely wrestled. It was largely Bayley. They got attacked beforehand to kind of give the heels a bit of an edge and make people think that, oh, maybe Alicia Fox and Nikki Cross will win, which obviously they won't. I still think Bayley and Banks are becoming the inaugural Tag Team Champions at Elimination Chamber, but that could be in doubt. I talked about the injury bug and how there's a lot of people hurt right now. Include Sasha Banks on that list as well. She seems to be very injury-prone, unfortunately, but yeah, she's been injured I probably since the Rumble because she worked the Rumble. She had a great match on that show, so she was probably hurt at the Rumble. She was not in action on Raw the next night, and then she wrestled technically on Raw this week. Never tagged in once. Bailey did all the work and won for their team. So I don't know. I do not know what you do with Sasha Banks. Um, and what will become of her status come Elimination Chamber if she'll be cleared to compete by then. That's in a week and a half. I guess they expected her to be cleared by Monday's Raw, and she wasn't. 
And we've seen this before. We're like, oh, yeah, they'll be cleared by then. And then, like, six months later, they're finally back in the ring. Like, look at Alexa Bliss. She was out of the ring for, like, months. At least three months. And they thought she'd be ready by Evolution. Well, clearly not. Which was uh, really unfortunate. But hopefully she is ready to go by Elimination Chamber. Because her and Bayley seem to be the front runners to become the inaugural WWE Women's Tag Team Champions. So it would be dumb to not have them in the match. But that's not the company's fault. Because if Banks can't go, she can't go. So maybe Bailey goes at it alone. I'm not sure what you do with them. Fox and Cross weren't actually a bad team. They actually worked fairly well together, but they should not be a regular tag team moving forward. Nikki Cross should not be wasted on Alicia fucking Fox in 2019. God bless Alicia Fox for staying employed for so long. Nikki Cross is way better than that. So hopefully they position her as a championship contender coming out of WrestleMania because she's far better than they give her credit for. And she had a good debut on Raw, but she was like a heel this week. It was very bizarre. Then we move on to Elias versus Jeff Jarrett. Yes, Jeff Jarrett's first Raw match since 1999. Did the research. The last person to have been beaten by Jeff Jarrett on an episode of Raw was Jacqueline in September of 1999, almost 20 years ago. Yes, the last person he beat on an episode of Raw was a woman. Then again, his last match in the company was with a woman in China at the in the Good Housekeeping match, I think at No Mercy in 1999. But yeah, this match was um actually not too bad. It was not terrible. Jarrett did not look as bad as I thought he would. And this is a fine feud, but again, it's a total waste of Elias. The guy was getting over as a babyface. To turn him heel again, I thought was so stupid. It was so dumb. I know they need more heels with Ambrose probably leaving soon after WrestleMania, but I thought that was such a waste. And to put him in a program with Jeff Jarrett and Road Dog in 2019, I think is also a waste. I like Jarrett being back. I think Road Dog, Road Dog being back on TV is cool. But what really does Elias get out of this? Yeah, he beat Jeff Jarrett. Oh, whoop de fucking do Beyond that, what else can you do with Elias coming out of this? Clearly, the feud is not over yet either. That's the issue, because Jarrett and Road Dog attacked him afterward. So we'll probably get more matches. Probably Elias and Road Dog, which will likely be even worse if Road Dog's size in Monday's Raw was any indication of that. Um, he's clearly not still in the ring on a regular basis like Billy Gunn is, um, that old AEW producer. I, I really don't understand what the purpose of this program is. It was fine as like a one-week thing for the night after the Rumble, but they're now running it into the ground, and Elias, they have nothing better for this guy than a feud with Jeff Jarrett, of all people? Seems very questionable to me. So, again, I'm glad he won. It could have been way worse, but still, it feels like they're just kind of spinning their wheels with Elias right now when he seemed to be catching... Fire late last year as a babyface, so to squander that by not only turning him back heel, but putting him in a feud with a guy who really isn't that big of a name. I mean, he is a WWE Hall of Famer, but does Elias gain a ton from beating Jarrett? The answer is no. Finn Balor, okay, so this is confusing. Finn Balor was advertised to face Bobby Lashley either last Friday or Saturday on Twitter by WWE. He was advertised to face Lashley on Raw this week. It was then later changed to an Intercontinental Championship match. Then we found out, at the start of Raw, it wasn't for the title match. It wasn't for the title. There was no mention of the championship being on the line. And then after Finn Balor made his entrance, and Bobby Lashley made his entrance, it was then announced that he would not be facing Bobby Lashley after all. It would be Leo Rush taking that spot instead. So yes, it was very confusing. It was a good angle, though. Bobby got banned from ringside about halfway through, leading to Balor beating Leo Rush, and... Lashley attacked Balor before the bell, so 
That's a bit of a tongue twister, but I got it. Um, that's why Leo Rush lasted as long as he did against the former Universal Champion. But Balor did go over anyway, picked up the victory. I'm sure this is leading to Balor and Bobby for the Intercontinental Championship at the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view, which is fine, but we've seen the feud before and it wasn't all that special the first time, so to revisit it so soon to me feels like a waste. Or just premature, whatever. I mean, if they want to get the belt on Balor, that's great, but the last two champions have done nothing with that championship. Now, Rollins really restored a lot of prestige to that championship about a year ago, and even when Ziggler held it for a time in the summer of last year, they main evented a pay-per-view with the Intercontinental Championship for the first time in like a decade and a half. But since then, the championship has fallen off the face of the earth, a lot like the U.S. Championship, which changed hands on last week's SmackDown, and then our truth was nowhere to be seen this week on the show. So anyway, with Balor and Rush, it was fine. Further the feud between Balor and Lashley, I think it will set up Balor and Lashley for the championship come Elimination Chamber. Uh, we had the return of Moment of Bliss, which I was not looking forward to at all, but it turned into a real entertaining segment, a lot better than I thought it would be. The Moment of Bliss should be just thrown away and kept in the garbage, especially now that Alexa Bliss is back in the ring and does not need to be hosting a talk show anymore now that she's been since clear to compete. Um, her her interviewee, the person, her, her guest, I think is the word I'm looking for here, her guest on this week's show was none other than EC3, the recent NXT upstart, who has said nothing since showing up on Raw and SmackDown, by the way. The guy has barely made an impact, no pun intended. He's just shown up in random backstage segments. Now, to me, it feels like Chris Jericho circa 2012, January, to be specific, when Jericho showed up and trolled everybody by not saying anything. That was the one ability that people wanted to hear him do. People love when Jericho speaks. And when they didn't give that to them, and they didn't have Jericho speak, they booed him. So I don't know if we're getting that with EC3. I'm not exactly sure. But what I do know is that the guy has not uttered a single word since he was called up about a month ago. Um, so he, he was here on the show, said nothing, before Nia Jax, Tamina, and Dean Ambrose all interrupted. They all crashed the segment. Uh, Nia Jax and Tamina... Further, their feud to Dean Ambrose. So again, that might be leading somewhere. I really hope it doesn't. I don't know what we would get out of that, but that's a possibility. Um, Dean Ambrose came out, made fun of EC3, and quite honestly, this was the most entertaining Dean Ambrose has been in a long-ass time. It really was. Like, even better when he was a, even better than when he was a babyface a few years ago. Um, he was that entertaining on Monday's Raw. He's like, oh, EC3, where's EC1 and EC2? Like, I thought that was a good line. It led to an impromptu match between Ambrose and EC3. Very uneventful. The match could have been a lot more with more time, but it was just kind of there. EC3 won, which was cool, but um, that was about it. There's really nothing worth writing home about this match whatsoever. Um, I had seen some people say that maybe EC3 was injured. He hurt his arm. That could be a possibility. I haven't heard that from any reputable sources since Monday. But um, it, it was a good in-ring debut for EC3. I just thought it was... Uh, I mean, Ambrose losing is far from a surprise at this point, considering he's apparently on his way out of the company. But EC3 winning... I mean, again, they could be doing way more with him than they're doing currently. I think taking away his ability to speak is such a fucking waste. The guy is great. EC3 is a very good talent. Um, so just to have him there not doing anything, I think is kind of questionable. I mean, I'm not to say, not to say the guy's the next world champion, but he can be a top talent if they promote him properly. So the fact that he's just kind of there not saying anything, I'm glad he beat Ambrose, who, again, should be putting people over on his way out. That's a nice start and all, but... It's, it's hardly exciting to say the least. So hopefully this is leading somewhere. I want to believe that it is leading somewhere. 
with EC3 finally talking and like cutting a pipe bomb like promo. I probably shouldn't even use the word pipe bomb. It's been so overused since 2011, but cutting like the scathing promo either on the current roster or a certain baby face or whatever. And it just leads to a great reaction. Unfortunately, I feel like it's more of a case of either it being a rib on EC3 or just they don't know what else to do with him and they think it's a cute little gimmick. Hopefully it's the former, but I'm not holding my breath. And I already talked about the main event with Baron Corbin, McIntyre, Strowman, and Angle. So overall, Raw was not bad. It was it was a decent show overall, but it really did not do much to get me excited for Elimination Chamber. SmackDown, on the other hand, I thought did a bit of a better job of getting me more amped up for Chamber than I was before. Um, I'm not sure how many matches are currently slated to take place on the show. I know we had the two Chamber matches. One for the WWE World, or rather WWE Women's Tag Team Titles, the inaugural champions, to be crowned in that match. And then one for the WWE Championship. Um, and then we have Miz and Shane versus the Usos for the SmackDown Tag Team Titles. Possibly Ronda and Ruby Riot. I'm sure there's more matches I'm not thinking of. But that's it as of right now. And it's a four-hour pay-per-view, usually. Um, so I would expect more matches to be added in the near future. Hopefully they don't go overboard like they did with uh, the Royal Rumble last week. But more matches are probably coming soon. So at the start of SmackDown, I think I talked about this earlier when I talked about the Becky Lynch-Ross segment with her and um, Stephanie. The same thing, you know, largely happened here with Charlotte kicking off the show, addressing Becky Lynch, saying, hey, if she's hurt, I can kind of step in her place at WrestleMania, wink, wink. Before to be in, uh, she was interrupted by Becky Lynch, who came through the crowd, which that was a nice touch because she's technically suspended. The security apparently did not care at all. The security just kind of let her go, oh, don't go in the ring, but we'll kind of let you go in the ring anyway. That was weird. Uh, the WWE has some of the worst security in the world from a storyline standpoint. They are so atrocious. They don't prevent anything from happening. So Becky Lynch gets in Charlotte's face. Out comes Triple H. He kind of breaks it up, sends Charlotte to the back, has this, you know, uh, mono-e mono, mono to the main conversation here. I guess mono-e mono works, considering, considering she is the man. Uh, there's mono-e mono with um, Becky Lynch about how she may not want to go to the doctors because she feels that the doctor will say that she's not clear to compete and then she can't go to the main event of WrestleMania. Or she's too scared to go to the doctors because she's scared that they will say that she's good to go and that she will have to face Ronda Rousey at WrestleMania and is scared of what might happen if she does face Ronda at WrestleMania. So I thought that was a good line. I thought Becky not saying anything in response was questionable, but at least she's somewhat made up for it by slapping Triple H. So she didn't lose all of her mystique or cool factor here. I thought that was a good way to salvage the segment. But it was a good segment, though. I thought it was a good way to kick off the show. And we'll see where they go with Becky going forward. Um, then we had Rusev and Shinsuke Nakamura teaming up for the first time ever. Yes, they were recent rivals, but they did acknowledge that on TV, saying, hey, can we work together for one night only? And they put their differences aside, took on Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson. Yes, they are still employed. And yes, they did lose again. It was a nice little match, but... And I think Rusev and Nakamura have potential as tag team partners. But few, uh, a few different things here. First of all, how do you think Gallows and Anderson feel about losing to a Mick Shift tag team who has only been around for a fucking week, whereas they've been employed now since 2016 and have done nothing aside from having a cup of coffee run with the Raw tag team titles two years ago? Second of all, with Rusev and Nakamura, I just... I like the idea of them as tag team, as a tag team, even tag team champions at some point. I think it's a good use of both guys. But then again, Rusev just escaped the tag team scene. Wasn't that the whole point of breaking him away from Aiden English? 
was to have him break off on his own to win the U.S. Championship, which he did. Nakamura, I guess the whole tag team thing is new for him, which is great and all, but with Rusev, I mean, we've been there, done that. The guy's never held tag team gold before, but he's had so many tag team partners between Aiden and the League of Nations a few years ago. I mean, there's really no point having him go back to that shit and um, having him team with Nakamura. If they really don't have any plans for them, then that's a shame. I mean, these guys are so talented to be wasted. I would not blame them at all for wanting to leave the company, and this is the best that WWE has for them. I could see them going for the tag titles of WrestleMania if it's like the Usos winning the championships at Elimination Chamber or, um, you know, the Usos winning at Elimination Chamber or the Bar or the New Day. I could see Rusev and Nakamura going for the championship, but it's hardly main roster, like main card worthy. That would definitely end up on the kickoff show, which sucks for Nakamura coming off his WWE Championship match with AJ Styles last year. So we'll see where, where they go with them. Uh, Randy Orton took on Mustafa Ali in a first-time-ever encounter. Very fun match here. I mean, Ali lost again, but he's the type of person, a lot like Johnny Gargano, where he doesn't always need to win. The guy always looks credible in the feet, always has a very good show, and comes close to winning before finally coming up short. And the finish was great, too. I mean, it was the closest thing to, like, the 450 into an RKO that you will ever see. The 054, I think, is what they call it. Um... I mean, that's it's a great move and all, but the fact that Mustafa would hit the move and then Orton would not hit it, but like go for it, and then Orton reverses it into an RKO, that's almost impossible. So they did the next best thing with Ali going for it, and Ali never left the top rope. Orton snatched his feet off the top rope right into an RKO. I thought that was a great maneuver and a very good way to close out the match. From there, we had Daniel Bryan addressing the audience, talking about his eco-friendly WWE Championship belt with the new Hemp WWE title, which I think I talked about last week here on the show. Great design. It has an awesome look. Nothing groundbreaking here. We heard Rowan speak for the first time in a long time. He did not butcher his lines, so that was good. It was a solid segment. I thought the crowd reacting to Bryan as favorably as they were, considering they were in Washington, his home state. Um, I mean, it was a cool moment for him. He did nothing to turn them against him, which I thought was weird, but he kind of embraced it, and he's not, like, against the fans anyway. He's against those that don't embrace the environment. So, you know, then again, I I guess he could have turned on them if he wanted to, but nonetheless. I did want to note this, though. He did tweet out on Tuesday night that it was three years ago, and I'm writing an article about this for Bleach Report on Friday. It was three years ago from this coming Friday that Daniel Bryan was forced to retire from the ring, announced his emotional farewell on Twitter that earlier that day on February 8th, 2016, and it was on an episode of Raw from his home state of Washington. Three years later, he returned to Washington, the WWE champion on SmackDown, almost exactly three years later. I thought that was really, really cool. Um, but yeah, good promo from Brian here. Then we had a triple threat tag team match featuring the women of SmackDown Live who did nothing and did not need to qualify, apparently. They just threw their name in the hat for the SmackDown, or for, rather for the WWE Women's Tag Team Championship match at Elimination Chamber. And I mean, again, I understand why SmackDown does not have enough women to do, does not have enough women to do, you know, qualifying matches and three different qualifying matches, whatever. I get that. But at the same time, at least either say that or say that SmackDown had a different, I don't know, a a different working process. I mean, just to say, hey, we're all in the match after all the Raw women had to qualify, I thought was kind of shitty. But still, this match was fine. Rose and DeVille went over after Rose pinned Naomi, so they're furthering that feud. I thought that was well done. 
Um, then we had Jeff Hardy and Daniel Bryan in the main event. We've had this match one other time, I think on an episode of SmackDown last May or June. They have good chemistry. They worked well together again here. It was a very entertaining outing. Hardy did go over by disqualification after Eric Rowan interfered, so... That was kind of predictable, but it was a good match. It led to an all-out brawl between Hardy, Bryan, Samoa Joe, Randy Orton, Mustafa Ali, and AJ Styles. Good, hectic, chaotic way to close out the show, building and planting the seeds for Elimination Chamber, that WWE Championship Chamber, next Sunday. So overall, another good show. And 205 Live was good as well with uh, Brian Kendrick, the Brian Kendrick, I should say, beating Mike Kanellis, who can't win a match to save his life, apparently. And a fatal four-way match, which was won by Akira Tozawa, beating Cedric Alexander, Humberto Carrillo, and who was the other individual in that match? Leo Rush to earn himself a cruiserweight championship match at Elimination Chamber. So there's another match for you in that chamber card next Sunday. Probably on the kickoff show. Um, also, quick thoughts on Worlds Collide in Halftime Heat. I thought Worlds Collide, very good tournament. Not the entire thing isn't worth watching. I thought so, you got to just kind of cherry pick, and some matches were better than others. The finals were great. Alexander and Bate was great. Um, Bate and Dream was very good in the finals. Um, Bate and Dominic uh, Dijakovic was very good, and I think either the semifinals or the quarterfinals. That was a great match, too. So check that out on the WWE Network and the early rounds on YouTube, on the WWE YouTube channel. Then also, Halftime Heat was exceptional. I thought it was a great concept. Really cool for them to bring that back for the first time in 20 years. I'm shocked they haven't done it before now. Now, I know the network is still a relatively new thing. We're actually celebrating five years of the network in a few weeks. So the fact they haven't done this yet, even on their own YouTube channels before this past Sunday, I thought was weird. But better late than never, as good of a time to do it as now. It made storyline sense for to do the six-man tag team match. Dreamed pin, uh, Dream pinned Adam Cole for the victory, so kind of furthering momentum after the wins in the Worlds Collide Tournament to earn himself a future title shot. And um, yeah, the match was just great. So if you haven't seen it, I think it's in full on WWE.com and the YouTube channel. So check it out when you can. It's a really, really, really good match with um, Tommaso Ciampa, John Gargano, and Adam Cole taking on Velveteen Dream, Aleister Black, and Ricochet. And that's going to do it, guys, for me on today's Wrestle Rant Radio. Thank you, as always, for checking out the show. For full episodes of Wrestle Rant Radio every single week and all the archived episodes as well, be sure to check out nextairwrestling.net. Also, iTunes as well. We're on iTunes. Simply search up Wrestle Rant Radio on the Apple Podcast app. Review the show, rate the show, subscribe to the show. You not only get every new episode on Thursdays, you also get every archived episode dating back to October of 2013. So, with all that being said, guys, have an awesome rest of your week. Like I said, my WrestleMania status is still up in the air as of right now. Hoping to have more of an update on next week's show. Till then, guys, I'm Graham G.S.M. Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road. Do I?